Now, last week was actually the beginning of, I guess you could say, the final week of Jesus' ministry. It's commonly referred to as the Passion Week. And this is where the Gospel of John is so different from the synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're given insights into things that these other Gospels don't actually give us insights to. One such insight is what happens here in the upper room. We are given an insight into dialogues. We are given insights into, into views, into teachings, into thoughts that the Lord Jesus expresses that we are not given or not privy to in the other Gospels. And so we have in this chapter, we have in, in 14 and in, in 15 and 16, we have this dialogue that takes place amongst Jesus as he prepares his disciples for his departure. Now, here's what's interesting. His disciples don't know that he will be departing. His disciples just think, man, we've got it good. Our, our master, our rabbi is here. Even though Jesus, throughout his whole time, has been telling them that the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem and be killed and be crucified. He must be given as a sacrifice for the sin of the world. And he has told them this numerous times, to which they never really understand, and it says this a number of times within the Gospels, that they don't really understand until after, or they understood after Jesus rose from the dead. So what do you do with that? What do you do when somebody's about to leave? What do you do when you're about to go on, when you go on a holiday and you form some great connections and you're about to come back? What do you do when you're sitting at the bedside of a loved one who's, who's about to leave you as, as their life passes from this existence to the next? What do you do when you, you, you lose a job or you move countries or move states or you sell up a house and you've had all these connections and, and you move away? What do you do? What you usually do is value. You value those moments. You value those times. You're attentive to what they have to say. Now, the disciples don't really know that this is what they're experiencing now. They don't really appreciate or value this time, although Jesus is sharing so much about what he's going to be doing, not only with them, but through them. And so we read and John, actually, well, I'm going to stop here before I share the verse. I'm going to ask my sister Grace, and she's going to come up. Can we have the, the mic, please? She's going to come up, and we're going to read the passage today, which is John chapter 13, I believe, from verses 1 to 17. Yeah. John chapter 13, verse 1 to 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured the water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. 
Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash each one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. And I pray that today you will take your word by your spirit and you will impress upon our hearts what your heartbeat is, what your desire is, and how you want to change us for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as I shared, we have entered into the final week of Jesus' ministry. And if you look in this first verse, in this first verse, it's sort of like the, the culmination of of everything Jesus has been about, of what he has been doing, what he is doing, and what he is about to do. You read, just in this first verse, how he knew. And I want you to hold those two words because it refers, or it comes back, repeats itself several times, that he knew something was going on. He knew. He knew it was time for him to leave this world. He knew it was time for him to return to his father. He knew that he had loved all those that had been entrusted to them and the fact that he knew he had loved them even to the end. And that love was expressed in not only the way he healed and the way he provided and the way he blessed, but the greatest expression of that love is in his correction and his rebuke of the religious leaders and his dis disciplining of his disciples as well. So you see all of this take place throughout the whole ministry of Jesus as we come into this last week. And so now we move into the upper room. And this is what I've basically called the f this series, the, the last week. And this is an upper room example. This is a passage that many of us have heard and, and read, and, and I know I've preached on it before, and I know other people have preached on it before. We look at the whole example of the servant leader and how Jesus, being who he is and what he does at this particular night, taking a role. I think I'm talking too fast. I'm sorry. Taking a role that was reserved to the lowest of the low servants, the Shemesh, I believe the name was, the foot washer within the, ha within the household. They were like the lowest of the low. And so we read from verse 2 with me as we look at this upper room example. There are going to be a couple of things I want us to take away. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Here it is again. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. I want to share with you a couple of thoughts that might be a little bit different than what you're expecting today. 
Now, in all accounts of, of stories, of, of politicians, of, of church leaders, of, of society leaders, of families, I've heard this phrase used. And I'm sure you have heard this phrase used as well. The phrase is dated back to long before I was born, I think long before many of us were born, and that's that phrase, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. Why'd you steal that? The devil made me do that. Why did you do that to your wife? The devil made me do it. How often we as people, this is a reflection of what our hearts are like, how we shift blame and, want, and refuse to take responsibility for the stupid choices we make. You see it all the way back in Genesis, in Genesis 3. And I've shared this before. What happens when God sees Adam? What have you done, Adam? Ah, oh, it was the woman you gave me, Lord. Goes to Eve. Eve, what did you do? It was the serpent. The serpent made me. The devil made me do it. It shows how our hearts will always look to blame someone or something else for our sinful attitudes. And it's been used to justify sinful actions. It's been used to justify sinful attitudes. And, and while the devil tempts and offers can be, these offers can be like doors that are open for us to walk through, it's us that choose to walk through them. Look, think about Aaron. What, what does Aaron, not, not Mr. T, hey Mr. T, what does Aaron do when, he, when Moses is up on the mountaintop and then the temptation comes from him when people say, look, make us a God, make us a God. What does Aaron do? He gives into the temptation and creates the golden calf. Look at Samson and the games that he plays with the wonderful ministry opportunity that God had given him with his long hair. How many braids, how many, how many dreadlocks did, did, did Samson have? Anyone know? Seven. He had seven. I'm still trying to gather that. Seven dreadlocks. Okay, but he had, he had time and time again given into his temptation. Yes, he David on top of the rooftop looking at Bathsheba, who he then gives, who then gives into that. You have Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 that do likewise after they sell their land and lie to the Holy Spirit. So it's open that, that the enemy may tempt us, may open the door, but more often than not, it is us that give into that, give into that temptation and follow through on it. Just like Jesus was tempted in Matthew chapter 4, so too was Judas tempted with the responsibility he was given, except Judas walked through the door. Judas acted on that temptation, making him responsible for his decision. James points to this in James chapter 1, verse 14, when he says that every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Now, the great thing is this, that the Lord Jesus didn't, as we know, fall into the enemy's trap. Neither was he drawn away from lust, and from, from by, by, by lust because, and this is what I find fascinating, this is what I really like, because of the security of Jesus knowing who he is, what he was about, and when it was coming about. So he was secure in his identity as the Son of God. He knew what his task was to seek and save the lost. And he knew the timetable. Remember, it says that he knew that he was about to return to God. So he knew these three aspects of his existence 
that gave him the confidence not only to overcome, but to conquer anything that comes his way. And you read this, you read, this is what he knew. He knew his power. He knew the authority that had been given to him in John 5.22. All judgment had been entrusted to him. John 17.2, as he prays in Gethsemane, that authority over all to give life, sorry, eternal life to those given to him and to forgive sins. That's Mark 2.10. Revelation 1.18, that he holds the keys of hell and death. He knew the power and everything that he had, the authority granted to him as the Son of God. Now, before I carry on, question. Do you know the power and authority that has been granted to you as a child of the Most High God? Yes! Praise God, Auntie Judy. Thank you so much. The power and authority that is given to you in Jesus Christ to overcome. The power and authority given to you in Jesus Christ to, to stand above and claim the promises being granted to you in Jesus Christ. Do you know that power and authority? Because Jesus did. Jesus did. And you, you sit there and, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm accusing you, I apologize. I sit there and I sit there and say, well, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. But knowledge that stays here is just knowledge. Knowledge that stays here and doesn't move down to here and then expressed outwardly, then it just stays knowledge. Remember the kernel life last week? It's like the seed. The seed that stays here doesn't die and bring fruition. It just stays a seed. That's what it does. It stays a seed. So he knew the power. This is us. He also knew this. He knew his identity. Mark 14, 61 and 62 says this. I am, said Jesus, this is when he was questioned by the Pharisees. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One. He knew where he was. He knew his identity. He knew his position. He knew the authority that he had, the power that he had, and he knew who he was. Once again, do you know who you are in Jesus Christ? Do you know the fact that you've been sanctified and set apart for his glory? Do you know that you are his son and his daughter? Do you know that you are cherished and favored by him? That you are that chosen generation? That you are that royal priesthood? That you are that holy nation, that, that people belong? Do you know that, that people belonging to God? Do you know that? And what else did he know? He knew his ministry. He knew what he was about. That he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. When you know what, and you see this with your jobs, you know. Now, Faith got a, she went away, she went on a holiday for two weeks and she came back and got a promotion. I don't know how that works, but praise God, she got a promotion. And at the moment, she's, she's just trying to feel her way in regards because no one's actually been training her. The person that was training her, she, she is pregnant and she left the job and her boss has just been saying, well, you do this, you do this. But what I've noticed about her is that the more she's becoming familiar about what she's supposed to be doing, the more comfortable she's finding herself in that position. Now, do you know what you're about? Jesus knew what he was about and everything he did centered on his goal that he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. We are told and outlined within the scriptures what we are supposed to be about. Are we, about, are we supposed to be about making money? 
No. Uh, are we about being popular? No. Uh, are, we about, are we about being entertained or to entertain others? No. What are we about? We're about preaching the gospel. That's what we're supposed to be about. And preaching the gospel goes beyond just telling people. Preaching the gospel means living and having Jesus live his life through us to others. Do you know what you're about? So it, which means as, as fathers, as fathers, when I look at dads, happy Father's Day for next week. Look at dads, the way you invest into your kids. That's what you're to be about and bringing them closer to Jesus. As mothers, to do likewise. As grandparents, as oh, grandparents, grandparents, you're, ama- you're amazing. Grandparents are amazing because you have so much, sorry, I mean, I'll be spitting. You have so much wisdom, so much experience, so much to invest. Where the rest of the world sits there and says, I'll oh, do away with old people. They're old, you're useless. No, you have so much to offer. Please, I, I just realized, I hope that wasn't offensive because, sorry. But you have so much to offer. There's so much to learn from you because you've lived life. And so there's so much that you can offer. Say, so do you know what you're to be about? Do you know husbands how to treat your wives? Do you know wives how to treat your husbands? Do you know parents how to treat your children? Do you know children how to honor your parents? Do you know that? Do you know if that's your employer, how you're supposed to treat your employees and vice versa? Employees, how you're supposed to treat your employers? Do you know, do you know what you're about? Because every aspect of your lives, no matter what it is, can be an opportunity for ministry. To show the love of Jesus to those who are around you. Man, you may not even have a job. You can still do that. You might be a kid. Sorry, no offense to Connor. You might be a student. Then you can do that while you're at school. You might be a uni student. Likewise. Do you know what you're about? And last thing that he knew, he knew his destination, where he was going. From now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of God. What we have been given in Christ is a security that lasts into eternity. Do you know that? Because the Lord Jesus knew this. The Lord Jesus knew this and the assurance that it gives for you to be doing and doing what God has called you to do gives you exactly what faith's receiving as she gets familiar with her position. Confidence, assurance, comfort, direction, purpose. It gives you all of that. See, the awkwardness we have as teens and even as adults is this struggle for identity. The the Lord Jesus shows that when one's identity aligns with the created purpose of God's design, then true security, true confident assurance, and God's leading can be known and then lived out. I want to say that again. When one's identity, when one's authority, when one's ministry, when one's destination, when all of these things align with the created purpose of God's design, not yours, of God's design, then what happens is true security, confident assurance, and God's leading can be known and then lived out. Known, the seed, and then lived out, bearing fruit. That's the example. That is the upper room example we have in Jesus. And it is manifest in Jesus' humility and example that he shows us in his very next act. What does he do? He gets up and he sheds his outer garment, much like how he sheds his divine glory to adorn himself in human flesh. He sheds his outer garment and he wraps himself in a towel. 
like wrapping himself in human flesh. And it's both for the purpose of serving his father and serving others. Because we read this in verse 5. Sorry. Here we go. I went... Oh, I missed it. Okay, in verse 5 it says this. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now, as basic as this may sound, the example that the Lord Jesus gives us here and the actions that take place are done for a specific purpose. He takes off his outer garment, he adorns himself with a towel, takes a basin, fills it with water, and it's done so for a purpose, for a specific purpose. When you have a basin of water, it's usually to wash something. Soak your feet, wash your car, throw on somebody. Might be any one of those things, and I've done all of those. But he does it for a specific purpose. When you look in the Scriptures, like everything Jesus does is done for a specific purpose. And that's what this is for. Okay, It's done for a specific purpose. When he traveled back to Galilee in John chapter 4, we read he must needs go through Samaria, which is in verse 4, I believe. But it's to this town called Sychar. Why? Because he met a woman at a well there. That was the specific purpose. He didn't have to go through Sychar. If you look at the map between, uh, from where he's coming from, through Judea, to go to Galilee, it's right out of his way to go to Sychar, but he goes there anyway. Why? For the purpose of meeting this woman. When he asks his disciples about how he's going to feed a multitude of people in John chapter 6, we read that he already knew what he was going to do in verse 6. Or his willing choice to stay, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, to stay an extra couple of days after hearing of Lazarus being sick because it was for God's glory so that God's son might be glorified through it. Now, the reason why I like this is because Jesus utilizes the things around him for the purpose of preaching the kingdom, of, of drawing people to his Father. And it would have been a, a walk to a well in Samaria. It was waiting an extra couple of days while he was, uh, before going to Bethany, or, or whether it's at a big feast, well, a big multitude of people while he teaches. But he's, he's doing it for a purpose. And what he does, and this is what really got me thinking, what he does is that where he is, and he sees the need, I'm sure the disciples were arguing about who's going to wash the feet, and so Jesus gets up, and he takes what's around him to wash the disciples' feet. Now, if Jesus is our example, if Jesus is our example, and we're supposed to walk as he walked, according to 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, the thing that stuck to me, the thing that I've sort of just been holding on to, has been this. What are the basins and the towels and, and the water in my life that I can use to serve God and serve others? What, 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 I, I have to get up from the table and, and I might have to take off my, my, my arrogance and pride. I might have to take off my, my reputation and, and, and how I view or how I think people view me. I might have to take off my, 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 my so-called humor and my snarky comments. I might have to, I have to take all those things off so I can adorn myself in the things that God wants me to do to serve him and to serve others. Does that make sense? And, and it could be this. It could be this. It could be I get to go to a school and work. 
I get to go to school and work, and I get to tell people about Jesus at the school. Okay, so, okay, at that school, I get to connect with teachers. All right, so, all right, then, so, for example, my, I, I like playing, I like, I like watching rugby. I'm from New Zealand. Everybody does. So, okay, so as a, as a rugby player, there's this one guy at the school who's a mad rugby player. Love the guy. Really nice guy. Atheist. Love him. And so we're organizing an opportunity to get together during the Rugby World Cup, which starts in the beginning of September. So Father's Day and Rugby World Cup, some great, great September. But so now, now we've organized because he's, he's renovating a house in Windsor, and he says, Joe, come on over. We can have a feed, and we can watch the rugby together. And I'm like, yes. You know what I can do? That's my, that's my basin. That's my basin my water. I can use the basin of rugby and the water of, of watching rugby games as a means to serve him and in some way draw him closer to Jesus. Pastor Roger, he plays flag touch still. He's like 53 years old. He still plays flag touch. But he tells me this. He tells me this. He goes, I go for the game to bring people to Jesus. That's his goal. That's his basin. That's his water. He met a guy, so I wasn't at Bible study on Monday because I was sick. But the Bible study that happens there, he brought a gentleman to the, oh, I can't remember his name, but he brought a gentleman to Bible study. And he was just a courier. This is what Auntie Judy does. He was just a courier. And then Rog got to talking to him and says, bro, I've got a Bible study on Monday. You want to come join us? You get food. And he goes, okay. So he joined, he was a Muslim guy who came along on Monday and sat in on the Bible study, and all it was was just everybody sharing their testimonies. That was the basin. That was the water. That was the towel. So what are the towels and the basins and the water in your life that you can utilize for sharing Jesus with others? That you can serve God and serve others. Because I look and I see so many people. And it doesn't matter if you're retired, if you're a, if you're a grandparent. You have wonderful opportunities to, to be able to, and, and this is, I'm not, please don't take this the wrong way, but you could use your grandkids. You could use your grandkids as a means to, to reach out to people. I'd see Pastor John as he reaches out to his neighbors and he shares the love of Jesus with his neighbors. I look at Jono and how when he reaches out with their cell group and they do different things with the cell group in order to reach out to others. I, I, I see Julie, Julie and Julie and Kenny were over at the university and reaching out in whatever way they can. But all of us have basins, towels, and water in order to use to serve God and serve others. The thing is, do you recognize them? Do you see them? Because we all have them, and this is what the Lord Jesus does here. And so then what we're to do then, if, if these are things that we might need to take off. Things that we might take off. We've got Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. I like the way the NIV puts it. Throw off. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with patience the race set before us. You have in Ephesians 4, 22 and 24, it says to put off your old self and to put on the new self create to, created to be like God. These are things that we need to sort of, these may be some of the things we need to throw off in order to Put on, I like what it says here in Colossians. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Put on the new self, renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. This means the house that is owned, the professional 
care that is worked, the, the numerous connections that are shared, the sports events that we participate with, the kid play dates we attend, the car repair places we go to, the gyms that we exercise in, the, the cooking skills that we learn, the introverted natures that we might have, the humor or the lack of humor we share can all be used by the Spirit of God and the power of God as a means to serve others, but not only serve others, but to bring glory to Jesus as we serve him. This is the upper room example that we see in this passage. And there's two things I want to close with very quickly. This is the first one. The upper room example that Jesus gives is this, the humbling of oneself for the purpose of serving others. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 11, we have how you, the valuing of others above yourselves in verse 3. Not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others in verse 4. Having the same mindset as Christ Jesus did in verse 5. We didn't consider equality with God something to be used for your own, his own advantage in verse 6. He made himself nothing in verse 7. He humbled himself to the death on the cross in verse 8. And then God exalted him in verse 9. That at his name every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father in verses 10 and 11. This is the example that Jesus gives us. And we have to have that same mindset. But that mindset can only be brought about as Jesus renews himself in us. As our minds are renewed, as our hearts are transformed. That's the first thing. That's the positive. Everybody knows that one. We're like, ah, sorry, I've heard that before. Yeah, we have. The thing I found interesting is the opposition to that. The opposition to that is ourselves. And this is what I found interesting with Peter. Okay? Thinking that we know better than Jesus when he is trying to work in us. Now, Peter often gets the short end of the stick. He is criticized, mocked, made fun of, and shamed out of all of the disciples. Perhaps it's because of his passion, his temper, or his short fuse. But all of them contribute to some of his lessons. But of all of the disciples, Peter is the one I associate with the most. Not because of his success, not because of his successes, but because of his failures. And this is one of the biggest ones I thought was fascinating. All right? Read this. And Verses 6 to 9, we read, So he comes to Simon Peter. So he's washing the disciples' feet. He comes to Simon Peter, who says to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No. That's me. No, said Peter. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Imagine telling Jesus how he's supposed to minister. Imagine telling Jesus how that, that the, what he's doing and the way he's doing it is wrong. Because this is essentially what Peter does right here. He says, no, Jesus is, I'm doing this. I have to do it this way. You won't understand, but I am doing this. So Peter says, well, no, but if you're going to do it, you need to do it this way. That's me to a T, where I'm not content with the way God is working in my life and what he's doing and wanting to change me to be more like him. I'm like, no, Lord, if you're going to do it, can you do it this way where it doesn't affect me so much, where it doesn't make me feel so uncomfortable, where it doesn't make me have to sit there and say something. Can you do something else that accommodates me and what I want? 
Can you imagine a parent that is governed by their children and not the other way around? Mum, I want ice cream for dinner. No, no, you've got to have vegetables. No. Can you imagine? Like, I can, I can I see some parents who are just like, oh, somebody's, somebody's going to be in some big trouble, you know? you know? You see that, don't you? You see that. That's exactly, this is our, it's a defiant attitude here that Peter expresses. But regardless of the intent beside, behind Peter's desire, regardless of the remarks that he makes, defiance is still defiance. It's still defiance when you try to bend God's will to your own instead of the other way around. Because here's, what, here's the reality. The commandments of God are not burdensome. And the King James says they're not grievous. They're not supposed to make you sad. They're supposed to set you free. That's in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. They're supposed to set you free and worthy of being listened to and obeyed. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. And 20 to 22, my son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. So then why do we constantly tell Jesus with our conduct, not just our words, that we think we know best? Why do we, why, why, I mean, we agree mentally we ascend to it or agree to it verbally, but it's not reflected in what we do. So how does Jesus deal with this? And I'm going to be finished in about five, six minutes. Well, you know that's not true. But anyway, so how does Jesus deal with this? First thing he does, perspective. He changes Peter's way. He gives an insight to perspective. Verse 10, Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body gets clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. Now, here's what's interesting. You're wearing sandals back in those days, and the feet are the ones that always get dirty the most. That's why you need a, a foot washer. So, Peter and his disciples, Peter and the disciples, they're already set apart. They're already known as Jesus. They already belong to him. They are sanctified. They are Jesus' disciples. And so he's saying to them this, you're already clean. You belong to me. It's only the feet that need to be washed. Why? Because the feet is what, you, is what are used every day. You pick up stuff, you walk around, you have the dust, all that sort of stuff. Now, if you are born again of the Spirit of God, you are set apart, you are sanctified, you are God's children, and in your everyday life, you'll end up picking up stuff. You'll have the dirt and the grime and the dust of this world that will cling to you as you go about your everyday living. And so what God has given us in the Scriptures is the, is the means by which we have our feet washed. We're already set apart. We're already saved. Our salvation is secure. But you'll find that you'll start picking up the dust of the world's values, the dust of the world's entertainments, the dust of, of the world's ideas as you... you I watch movies, as you, as you watch TV, as you listen to the radio. You'll find all these advertisements over there that will sit down and, and say, and then you'll have the grime of, of advertisements, the grime of, of, of the way the world works, the world system. You know, when your boss does shady deals and then tries to drag you in with it, you'll find all of those things. And so we need to have our feet washed. We need to come to the Lord Jesus and ask the Lord Jesus to clean our feet as we repent 
of whatever those things are as we repent and we identify those things and say, Lord, can you please help me? And, and, and what's great is you have such things within the scriptures. Being saved and sealed by Jesus means we must come to Jesus for cleansing, healing, and wholeness continually. Remember in John 6.37, him that comes to me, I will no wise cast out. That's from the King James. Psalm 51.17, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Psalm 32.5, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. 1 John 1.9, which we all know, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it is in this first step, let us pray that our perspective might be changed to see who we are in Christ, what he has made us in himself, his child, his treasured possession, his workmanship in Christ, and the second part, obey. Obey. You sit down, you read in verses 13 to 15, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet you should wash one another's feet. Here we go. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now, this is self-explanatory. I don't want to make a specific, regarding, uh, a specific statement regarding this, but it is obedience. It is obedience to a person. Okay? It is obedience to a person to cherish the relationship you have with them, not obedience to a list of do's and don'ts. It's obedience to a person that we're invited to. We're invited to be with Jesus, not to a set of rules. We're invited to be with Jesus, not to a set of laws, to be with Jesus. And as you're with Jesus, what happens? His heart, his mind, his values then become yours as you are with Jesus. That's, what is, and that's why he says in John, I think it's John 14, 15, if you obey me, keep my commandments. No, no. I said it wrong. If you love me, thank you for the heresy picked out there, Joycey. If you love me, keep my commandments. It's not keep my commandments to show you love me. If you love me, keep my commandments. There's a one, the, the way uh, Don Hay put it was, don't put the cart before the horse. Don't put the cart before the horse. If you love me, keep my commandments. Because here's the thing. Obedience. The Pharisees were more obedient to anybody else. And what did Jesus say about them? He said, you worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. He said that they're like whitewashed tombs. They're all clean on the outside, but inside were dead men's bones. And they were obedient. So it's obedience to a person that Jesus invites us to. This obedience is manifest in this example Jesus gives us. And, and heart and attitude and conduct and obedience only possible through him who gives us strength because at the end, oh, I mean, just jump down to verse 17, okay, just verse 17. Now that you know these things, remember the things Jesus knew? Jesus knew his power, he knew his identity, he knew his ministry, he knew his destination. Now that you know these things, that your power is in Christ, your identity is in Christ. Your ministry is for Christ. Your destination is to be with Christ. Now that you know these things, what does he say? He says, you will be blessed if you do them. As Jesus knew, you know now. As Jesus did, 
so can we. And so I pray that this, this doesn't become just, as I shared last week, something forgotten. How many people remember how old the kid was I talked about last week that died? 22. Thank you very much. I didn't give you his name, but, okay, 22. Don't let this become something that just, like water off a duck's back, soon just cast off so you can be about your day. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Martin Luther said this, in this life, Christ is an example showing us how to live. In his death, he is a sacrifice, satisfying for our sins. In his resurrection, a conqueror. In his ascension, a king. In his intercession for you, a high priest. That is our king. That is our ultimate example. That is our upper room example, the Lord Jesus gives us to meditate on. So with that, let's bow in a word of prayer. And we'll end it there. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much, so much for the way you've just invested into the disciples here and how you desire to invest into us. You desire us to know the power we have in you, the authority that you have granted us in your son, Jesus Christ, that you would help us to understand our identity and who you have made us to be as your son and as your daughter, as children of the most high God, that the ministry that you have given us to go into all the world and preach the gospel is something we will not cast to the side, but utilize, utilize whatever we have in our lives, our homes, our connections, our jobs, our, our friendships, as a means to fulfill that, that call that you have given us and, and the destination that we are secure in Jesus Christ. I pray that now that we know these things, that we would be instilled with a, a fire in our hearts and our souls to not be content with just existing, to not be content of just going through the motions or, or sitting in a chair and, and being comfortable from day in and day out, uh, but rather, Lord, to... To, to ignite within us the, the fire of revival, to ignite within us by your Spirit a, a passion to see people come to know you, a, to, to ignite within us a, a desire to be with you and, and, and to experience you in the fullness that you have given us and, and that we would live that abundant life that can only be found in you. So I pray, Father, you will help us to be discontent with just existing and going through motions but Lord, that you would draw us and you would stir us and you would shape us and, and set us on fire for the kingdom of God. Father, this is a miracle that only you can bring about. And I ask for revival to take place within the hearts of your people this day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.